Welcome to a global conversation with Bebe Voyage, a podcast about the highs and lows of traveling the world with kids. With your host, Marta Conte, each week we deliver insightful conversations with globetrotting parents from around the world. From travel gear, travel tips and tricks, to diversity, uplifting marginalized voices and more. You can find great recommendations on our website, bebevoyage.com. To connect with other travel-loving parents, be sure to join our membership program. Listen through to the end of the episode and we'll tell you more about it then. This week we are joined by Monica Silvestro, preschool teacher from Maryland, to talk about socio-emotional development and early education. For more on unschooling, homeschooling, and learning while traveling, be sure to check out the premium content we have available through the Bebe Voyage membership. This podcast may contain language not suitable for all ages. Listener discretion is advised. So would you like to just give a brief introduction to who you are and what you do, and then we can uh, start on? That sounds great. Well, uh, my name is Monica Silvestro, and I am a mother of two children. My son is 10, and my daughter is almost 13. Um, uh, we live with my husband and our little dog, Penny, who is keeping us all sane right now <laughs> and laughing all the time. Um, I teach preschool right now. The preschool where I teach is closed, so I'm not teaching right now. Um, but normally I teach preschool at a small play-based preschool near my house. Um, and I've been doing so for the past six years, uh, and I love it. And, um, in the past I've done, some curriculum development and nutrition education. Um, and I'm just, I'm really passionate about children and education um, and watching them grow. Well, that's amazing. Um, so how are you finding it not being at work? Is it weird? It is a little weird. You know, I mean, I don't work over the summers. Uh, so I'm, yeah. I'm sort of used to that. Um, I, you know, I have a lot of downtime. I'm trying to clean my house up a little bit. Uh, it's not my strength. Nope, <laughs> <Or nope>. can... <laughs> so it's one of those things. <laughs> you too? I, we have been going through like through the entire lockdown, all of 2020, like one room every so often. And yeah. at the moment we've done my daughter's and we're now doing my office and that's it. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, I have but I have, I have really, I have great intention. That's exactly yeah. what I was about to say. I have great intention, and every day I said today's the day, and then it's yeah. like, yeah, no. <laughs> I know, um, but I, you know, I'm I'm applying for other jobs uh, right now because I'm unsure if my preschool will open, and so I'm sort of pursuing other opportunities. And in the meanwhile, I've been making videos for preschoolers uh, on YouTube called Ten Minute Preschool. Um, that's been a lot of fun I'm working with my husband on that because he's the one that knows how to do all the video editing all the technical stuff yeah (laughs) yeah so when he has free time which isn't a ton uh we've been and it's been nice working together on that yeah you know keeping us close which is that's good that's a nice change um so obviously you mentioned that you're a preschool teacher and Mm -hmm. you specialize in interactive learning Mm-hmm. And so can you tell us a little bit more about why it's important and uh, what is it all about? Absolutely. Uh, so interactive learning for the little ones, I teach three to four-year-olds, but really most kids can really benefit from this approach is when the children are working on their own with their hands to learn something. So I'll give an example of 
Uh, you could do a science demonstration for children and say, look, I'm standing up here and I'm showing you if I pour this here and I pour that there, look what happens. I'm sorry, I'm going to stop you because I had loads of comments. Can you repeat the YouTube channel name? Absolutely. Yes. It's called 10 Minute Preschool. Thank you. There you go. Yeah, no, I'm glad to plug myself. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, so... So interactive learning, yes, you can show a child a science demonstration and you can do the pouring and the mixing and things like that. And they'll learn something while they're observing it. But if you put those materials in their hands, then they're learning at a different level. They're sort of not only looking at the interaction, the reaction, if you're doing the science experiment, but they're, you know, estimating and they're working on physics in their head. They're not realizing they're yeah. working on physics, but they're working on physics. So um, I like to put the the control in the children's hands as much as possible. And another example of that is in art. Um, art is such a huge part of early childhood learning and development. And I love process art. Process art is the process of making the art is more important than the product. The product, okay. you know, like you could say, okay, we're all making an owl today and an owl has two eyes and a beak and two wings and whatever. Or you can give them, you know, all the materials to make an owl and say, oh, okay, it's here's a picture book of an owl, but what are you going to do? And you're, the, a kid's owl might have 20 eyes, you know, it, or, you know. That's what ahead. I struggle. That's that I can't relinquish the, you know, go ahead and do it the way you want to do it instead of it needs to look like this yeah. and be like this. And I tend to like, yeah. So I encourage you and others to sort of breathe through that and take a deep breath and let the child create. And I, the biggest benefit that comes out of that is that later on, when they're older, they're going to not be self-critical about their work, right? So if they're like, okay, oh gosh, my owl doesn't look like the teacher's owl or this child next to me who has really good fine motor school skills, but I might have good gross motor skills. Yeah. You know, it, it, later on, there's going to be more of a self-criticism and a self-judgment. But if you let them just throw all the paint and mix yeah. it with their hands. I, I, gonna, defi I definitely yeah. need to get better at this. I mean, I am so... I'm so terrible that my daughter, when other children come and play our house and we get the Play-Doh out, the first thing she said is, uh, we don't mix colors in this house. <laughs> <laughs> because I'm, I'm like, no, don't, you know. And I, I realize I am so controlling over our yeah. play. But you, yeah. but you have Play-Doh, which is good. Yes, because, yes. <laughs> because a lot of parents say, no Play-Doh, no Play-Doh, it's too messy. So you've, you've, jump to that step and I think yeah that's now I need to let her just play with it right. instead of uh, yeah so yeah I I think it's, it's something that I think lots of parents need working on I'm sure um yes. somebody just is saying we don't even use play-doh play for the same reasons <laughs> yeah can I plug why play-doh is so oh, good for preschool yes of course please do okay um I know that when our children are little and they're learning to write and you just want to like put a pen in their hand and have them hold the pen properly and start writing it. And if they don't, you might be like, Oh, why aren't you, why can't you hold it properly? Well, children's hands, their muscles aren't developed enough to yeah. write properly. And Play-Doh in particular is such a great tool because when they're squeezing it and pushing it and manipulating it, they're strengthening those hand muscles. Yeah. It's so important for them. 
I'll just, yeah, no, it's incredible. And it's one of those things that I think you have in all preschools, like, you know, water games with syringes and Play-Dohs and things is all to work on the, on the fine motor skills. And yeah, we just, I just need to let it go. Yeah. You know? <laughs> I mean, think about that. First of all, Play-Doh is inexpensive, right? So yeah. it's one of those well, things that you Well, it re- was, it was before the pandemic started. Oh. Oh. In, the, in the UK, it has become one of the most expensive things you can buy now. Because what? when the lockdown happened, I think every parent went online to buy Kinetic Sand <laughs> and Play-Doh, honestly. But, but I yeah. can give you a, a great recipe for it if you want me to share yes, it later. Yes, please. Yes. I'm, I have some Definitely. good recipes, so I'm happy to do that. Because you can make it at home, which is and another the, learning the, experience. Yeah, I was going to say, the kids then can learn to make it themselves as well. So they learn yeah. something yeah. new. So yeah, yeah. yes, Jess is saying it's also expensive in South Africa now. Wow. So I think it's become, because it's something that the kids can play by themselves. They don't need too much supervision unless yeah. you're like me. And, you know, <laughs> but no, it's, it's great. Yes, I, I used to teach children how to cook. And I thought, oh. that, and, and bizarrely, I can let them, when it comes to cooking, you can make as much mess as you want. Interesting. I know, right? And I have no idea why there is fine. And in other aspects of learning, it isn't. I'm guessing because I expect, I expect things to look pretty, but cooking yeah. doesn't necessarily have to be pretty or to taste good. That's true. So, right, it's, it's, it's got the two different aspects. Yeah. Though, the looks so, of it and the taste. Yeah, yeah so I know. I, but yes, definitely. Is, um, I have to work on that one. Some so, self-exploration will happen, right? For sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so... Obviously, you're now, uh, your, your preschool is now closed. And mm-hmm. you're, how do you think this has affected um, children across the globe, the, the shutting of educational institutions? I think that it is not great for our children to be learning online. Um, I think that the most vulnerable populations are the very little ones and the children with special needs who uh, might not be able to access the learning quite as well. And that runs the gamut of, you know, um, being on the autism spectrum or having attention deficit disorder, anxiety issues, you know, any child who sort of has some sort of a a disability or learning issue will probably have more trouble learning at home than in school because they don't have the same routines and the same expectations that they do in school. Um, So unfortunately, I feel like, you know, it it isn't great for everybody. However, I do think that kids are resilient. And I believe that if parents can model resilience to their children, you know, you know what, this, this kind of sucks, but we're going to be okay. Let's see what we can do to make this better, as opposed to, oh, this is horrible, you know, and I think one thing I've noticed, I do this too, not just uh, other parents, but that we talk a lot about it with other people around. So like if you're walking down the street, you know, at a, at a safe distance and you might talk to your neighbor about, oh, isn't it horrible? The kids aren't going back and your kids are there listening. Yes. We have to watch what we're saying and watch what we're portraying. That is very they- true. Yeah. Yeah. I actually yeah. never thought about it. And I, I, I have that conversation multiple times a day because uh, our schools are open now again. Oh, good. And yes. And I, I have never been so excited. It's <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> just like, Yes, please. Um, And I've noticed 
the first things our parents when we met and it's like oh isn't it great they're finally back at school I don't have to do this it was so hard and thinking now our kids were all there because we were queuing to get into class and he is yeah it must affect them um somebody's saying I think a lot of kids might be more resilient than their parents right now yeah that is very possible I mean we we all have so much more stress on us right now I think that's the problem is that the they don't understand you know the real ramifications of what's going on and we do and we're bombarded by social mm-hmm. media yeah. and all that right so yeah and also I think it's a very different thing of doing homeschooling because you're doing homeschooling because at the moment we're trying to juggle working from home and homeschool our kids or you know remote school our kids and having so many people in the house that we're not used to having in the house and having to deal with sharing a space for work for lives it's um It's not easy and it's something that we're not used to and uh, hopefully we won't have to do for too long. But yes, but I'm guessing another big thing with with school uh, is the social development because that's a really important aspect of a school setting. So how, how can we help our kids in that aspect from home? That is something that, that I've gotten, I've been asked a lot. Um, And so I try to think about, what it is about preschool, for example, but any school that the kids get and how can we replicate that at home? We can't replicate a classroom, but we can replicate the learning. Like what is it, the the ultimate goal? So for example, independence. In a classroom, I'm always promoting independence because I have 12 to 14 students and I can't carry everybody's coats from the playground if they get caught in the playground. They have to carry their own coats. And after snack, you know, uh, for the first month of school, I always have kids just sort of hand me their wrappers. And I'm like, you know, you you have to throw it away. There's a trash can. And some kids need more reminders than others. And kids need to, you know, throw away their own trash, push in their own chair, take their little plates to the kitchen, put it in the sink if you find it safe to do so, um, put on their own coats, things that we work on in the classroom on independence. That's the kind of thing that you can work on at home. Um, and being consistent about it is ultimately how we achieve it quicker. So a lot of times during parent-teacher conference, I'll, I'll say something like, oh, you know, little Charlie loves to clean up, um, use the broom after snack. And mom is like, oh, what? My Charlie never cleans up at home. You know, and we set the expectations. And we also have the peer influence there, which you don't necessarily have at home. But if you set the expectations and make it happen every single day, at some point, Charlie's going to be okay with cleaning up. Yeah. But if you're cleaning up after they go to bed, because it's just easier than having the fight, then you're missing the opportunity to have them practice that. Um, and some kids really uh, sort of like, oh, I don't want to clean up. And it looks like defiance, but it's actually overwhelmed. They're looking at the mess and they're overwhelmed by it. And they're anxious because mm-hmm. they don't know how to clean it up. So you expect them to clean it up, but they don't know how. So in that case, I would encourage you to break it down, right? So say, okay, I'm going to clean up the blocks and you put away the Legos. Or I'm going to, why don't you put the doll over here and lead them to it and make sure there's a place for everything so they know where everything goes. Because that defiance may not be actual defiance. It might just be like, I don't know what I'm doing and you haven't taught me yet. 
That is a really interesting point. I never thought about it that way. I mean, it was always like a screaming match of yeah. tidy up your room or yeah. you don't or I throw the toys in the bin. You know, right. usually right. Absolutely. usually that's how it goes. Yes. And yeah, and I haven't never thought about it. That it could be not necessarily because she doesn't want to do it, but because I need help doing this and, and yeah. And I think there is also an aspect of um over here, when, when they go to reception, they have to meet certain criterion of independence to be ready to, to go to school. And, and Ali's um, preschool, uh, childcare environment, before going to reception, was really on it. And, you know, they would, let her, they would ask her to do lots of things on, the, on her own. And to me, was a, I remember the first year, it was like, but she's so little, Yes. You know, she yes. she shouldn't be doing this on her, and it was yeah. probably more my defiance than yeah. her because for me it was my baby. She shouldn't learn how to put her shoes on by herself yet because she's only two and I a know. half. You know, yeah. and yeah, and I remember multiple conversations with the childcare going, "Oh, but you know, you need to let her try, and she will be fine." And and yeah, and I can see the point now of uh, yeah, yeah. But another important as social emotional aspect of school that they're not really getting right now is the patience the you know if i'm doing a circle time and i've got 14 kids there and they all want to talk at once they can't i can't hear them we can't hear them so they have to wait their turn and raise their hand and wait to be called on um and so i encourage parents at home uh to have your children like if they want your attention and you're talking to your significant other or someone on the phone they want you right now it's so easy to just hold on it's my kids oh yeah 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 I'll help you but I encourage you to make them wait just a little bit 30 seconds one minute not that long because they're still kids you know one thing you can do is say okay you know when you want my attention but I'm talking to mommy or daddy put your hand on my arm I'll know that you're ready to talk to me you just have to wait and, and I'll come to you really quick. So then, you know, don't make it a long time. So they put your hand on your arm, you finish up your sentence, and then you turn to them and say, thank you so much for waiting. What, how can I help you? And it's just something very little that you can do at home that teaches them they're not the center of the universe. You're not going to drop everything for them yeah. in that very second, you know? Yeah. Um, it, it teaches them a little bit of respect for others and, and adults. Um, and it can be just an easy thing that you can do at home that they're not getting because they aren't in the school environment right now. That's, that's impressive. Yeah. That's a, a really yeah. good tip actually. Yeah. Cause we all, we all go through the old mommy, 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 mommy. <laughs> and yeah. So, Even my kids no. who are older, I hear mom. You know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They just shout at that point. They just shout. They don't uh-huh. even talk anymore. Yes. Or they text, you know, mom, can you bring me <laughs> water? I'm upstairs. <laughs> yeah. That's impressive. Have- Oh, well, is it? I mean, it's it's good, but it's also yeah. the whole technology thing it's, is, it's is so hard me. to navigate. Ooh. Yeah. Avoid it, it as long as you can. <laughs> well, we, we have uh, screen bans, so Ali's not allowed any, any phones, any tablet at all. Um, only at school if they do it for educational purposes, and she's allowed one hour of cartoons a day. That's it. That's great. Because um, it just scares me so much mm-hmm. how quickly addictive it is the yeah. the few times that I saw her because maybe we was in a, visiting a friend and the kids are playing and it was just like instantaneous yeah. 
And it's, I, I can't, you know, I can't control it. So I'd rather you not have it yet. Yes. So, and that, you know, when I like the hour thing of day, I think that having a consistent time of day when they, it's predictable to them is good because then it sort of takes away that, mommy, can I have, can I? You know what? She eat. never asks. The moment she knows, usually TV is on whilst I make dinner. And she knows the moment I go in the kitchen and start making dinner, it's like, oh, can I watch some telly now? And that's it. During yeah. the day, she never asks. Yeah. So and, and the consistency helps. And yeah. we used to have that. <laughs> I'll admit yeah. that, that, you know, and, and part of it is with older kids, that's how they're communicating with their friends right now, right? And so my kids are not back in school. They're not projected yeah. to be back in school till February. And so... It, it makes it harder to take it away because it's, so their only, it's their only way of communication with the outside if you... Yes. you know and it's, right. it, it's so hard I, I feel for them I really do because it I can't be easy so yeah. yeah so going back to remote learning and what do you think are the social benefits of remote learning compared to an in-school setting and vice versa if you I don't think there are a ton of social benefits to distance learning um, I think that something that children are expanding right now is there access to like do you know have you heard of out school classes no um so out school is a big uh conglomerate of of teachers doing different classes online so you might pay ten dollars for one watercolor class one hour or you can pay ninety dollars for my my daughter in november is going to do a hamilton musical class online, you know, for a couple weeks. Um, and so I think that uh, what distance learning has done is sort of opened our minds to different possibilities. Yes. Um, so maybe they're meeting kids from other parts of the country or other countries that they may not have met before. Um, otherwise, I think that social learning is, is, is really challenging for them. There's, yeah. in my opinion, not that many benefits. No, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. I think it's, uh, yeah, I, I don't know how and when they're going to be able to. Uh, do you have any dates in America where you are where they can go back so to school? It's so by it's by district. So there are schools in my state that are back already. Um, but my, the county where my children go to school is very large. I mean, hundreds of thousands of students. And so it, to systematically put everybody back in, uh, would be a huge undertaking because even little things like the school bus, getting the kids to school in a safe way would be challenging because they yes. use those same school buses. You know, they drive the high schoolers to school, then they come back and get the middle schoolers and they get the elementary schoolers. And so in order to do that social distancing or safely would be a huge undertaking mm. right now. It's not projected and that will open up live until February, 2021. Wow. Um, but I know our the governor of our state is sort of pushing uh, the state to do it earlier. Our numbers are okay right now. Um, I'm not sure how that's going to look when the weather gets bad and we're all inside more, but I don't know. I don't know. It's, it's, a, it's an uncomfortable um, waiting game, you know? Uh, yes. No, definitely. Because I, I told you, my, the happiest news they gave me was when they said schools are going ahead. But I guess our situations is slightly different because we can't send our kids to school um, further than a certain distance so we can all walk mm. to schools ah that's a big difference yeah so we yeah. walk to schools every day um right. our schools are all by catchment area so you have to be within that catchment area which makes it walkable 90 percent of the time 
So um, I'm guessing it's easier then for us to go back in. Although there are 30 kids in each class. Wow. Are they masked up? No. Not all day? No. Every class, it's its own bubble. So the reception class only mixes with reception, only stays with their teachers. Um, They have different times for going into school and coming out. So there is no overlapping. And they have have different lunch times. So they don't overlap with other classes. That sounds good. It sounds at like the it's moment man- we, manageable. We, well, we've been open for three weeks at the moment, so we'll see how it goes. Good. I'm sure there will be cases, and, and there are already some schools that have been closed and reopened and closed, but we'll see how it goes. At the moment, I'd rather, I've noticed a massive change in my daughter with her being back at school in terms of sure. behavior. Uh, the moment she had a clear routine for a day, her behavior has changed massively because she knows what to expect. Um, Somebody saying, uh, because Bex is in England as well, our playground is also broken up into sections. Yeah, same. same Yeah, Yeah. they have to go in uh, different times and they can only play in different areas. Um, And, but yeah, I I think routine and uh, and sort of normality has definitely made a, a massive change in her behavior. Um, she is more patient, she is calmer, she doesn't have tantrum as much because, yeah. I, I don't know, I feel like she knows what's, what's coming and yeah. she can predict it, so yeah, yeah. for sure. And I, I mean, if, and that's something that uh, it's, it's difficult to do at home because, you know, you're the everything to them, but the more that you can build prediction and routine into their life at home and that means like the same bedtime every night the same meal times you know the same chores that they're expected to do that can help certain kids are more sensitive to routines and changes in routines than others and so if you find that your your child is you know having a difficulty with that you know with uh being at home a lot and not having a routine to build it in and i also encourage parents at school we have a lot of visual cues Um, there's so much on the internet. If you are having trouble with bedtime, for example, you know, type in like bedtime routine images and you can copy and paste like, you know, a toothbrush and then a pajama and then a book and then a moon or something like that. And even the youngest child can see like, Oh, we brushed our teeth. Check. You know, we, we put on our pajamas. Check. We, you know, and having a paper like something tangible something to see can really help some kids if they're having issues with certain routines and parts of the day no absolutely and something it's so true we had a timetable during lockdown yeah um yeah yes. Uh, yes no i i need structure and, and ali is very much like me mm-hmm. she needs to know what's going on and so how did you make it easier for your kids to transition from in-person school to you know because well, we, they're obviously a little bit older, so yes. I'm guessing they have different needs. Yes, yes. So my kids, like I said, are 10 and 12. Um, in the springtime, we had one school shut down. March 13th was the last day of school. And then they had about three weeks. I forget if it was three or four weeks where there was just almost nothing coming from our school. So at that point, my husband and I were like, all right, let's do something. So we you know, we asked them to watch documentaries on gorillas and write us something and do a couple of math worksheets. But really, I'm fortunate that my kids love to read. Um, And so, you know, we just made sure we could get as many books as we can. You know, I got somebody secondhand Kindle so we can do that. Um, But now that 
the school has started a month ago and we're, we're distance learning full time. You know, we, they both have desks in their rooms with good chairs with support. Um, one thing we learned at, with trial and error is that even when your children are saying, I'm on top of it, I'm doing my work, <laughs> don't take their words for it. Because <laughs> even the most diligent kids who were straight A students or never lie or anything, they struggled in the spring. Um, I have friends who have wonderful children who, when their parents realized it, they were like, oh my gosh, my kid is so far behind and we have to catch up. So my husband and I, what we did, because we noticed that was happening, like just a little bit with our kids here and there is that we started doing nightly checks, you know, even, oh no, no, we got it, mom and dad. You know, we made them turn on their computer after dinner and show us. And so many times they'd be like, oh, oh, I should, oh, I'm supposed to do that. Oh, okay, sorry, you know. And yeah. and so when it was like an expectation, they stopped fighting it. So I would say just check in with them, even if you feel yeah. like they've got it. No, absolutely. Um, Juliet is asking if your kids were always avid readers or did it come naturally for them? Or... That's a great question. So uh, we have, like many of you, have been reading to them since birth. Um, we always had a lot of books in the house. Uh, we are lucky. My husband's mother owns a used bookstore. And so she, I mean, we have, you might want to say, is there too many books or too few bookcases? Mm. <laughs> but we have too many books that it's ever taking our house. Um, and I think the one thing we really prioritized was to never push them in reading yeah. um, because the love of reading was more important to when they were able to read or yeah. when they read on their own. And my son loves graphic novels. I mean, he could just read graphic novels all the time. And at one point we're like, should we... I mean, his reading level is much higher than this. Should we encourage him to? No, we want him to love to read. We're not going to judge and criticize their choices and their reading. And slowly he started reading more novels. And um, and so it really is. And they are, like I said, almost 13 and, and 10. And we still, we don't get to do it every night, but we still try to read nightly as a family. You know, I just bought... Uh, Neil Patrick Harris, the actor, wrote a series of books called The Magic Misfits, and I just bought the fourth yes. one. Yeah. Um, and so, I mean, like, it's, you know, we've been reading it for a couple of years whenever it first came out. And, and okay, so maybe my kids sometimes read above that level, but like, it's still something we do as a family. And I think it's really important. We, we have, like, we make sure Ali's obviously too little, but we, uh, my husband and I have done it since forever and at least one night a week no technology is on and we read that's great you know and if they um, see you reading that's important and that's and that's the thing is like she's obviously little and she can't read but she loves books and i want to keep that interest that julia was just saying that she grew up in a house where her mother forced her to read and he sucked and and he does because none of us want to be forced to do anything you know it's like we go back to the play-doh i'm sure ali would enjoy a lot more if i just let her play with yeah. it than having to to be forced to do something yeah. because I think she should right it, it's hard I mean you know even as they get older to and I think we yeah and I think with reading is also hard because yes. we want them to do well at school so we yes. expect certain levels of reading for their age and for the the you know the class levels and so I think it's it's harder to step back to let it go 
Yeah. yeah and and it's hard especially when the kids are preschool and kin- like pre-k right before kindergarten and kindergarten and the first grade those children some of them they don't read early yeah but that doesn't mean that they're not going to be good readers it but just then- means that their brain hasn't clicked yet you know it hasn't sort of like clicked in their brain yeah. but then they once it does they can take off but a lot of times parents kind of freak out oh that's my gosh, what, exactly That is that competition between parents of, do you know my child can already read this and this? And it's just like we're putting so much pressure on them just to show off what they can do. Yes. And it's it's so unhealthy. I know. Yeah. And hopefully, yeah. But it's it's hard as a parent. I think I used to be one of those people that used to say, oh, I'll never do that with my child. Yes. And And then then, then you find it happening. (laughs) <laughs> and then I look at my husband and go, geez, I sound like my mother. And it's like, yeah. Yes, you do. <laughs> I do. I know. I know. It's, it's so hard. It definitely changes. Um, yeah. So how do you think, especially now with school not really going back, how can parents find a happy medium between remote learning and in-person schooling? Yeah, you know, that's a, a good question. I feel like... <sighs> Knowing your child, knowing if they need a break from something uh, and not, you know, we're having a a, a sort of a difficulty at home with one of my children who, you know, wants more control in in his life, right? And, And he feels so like he can't control anything right now. And so we're having battles about that. And, you know, there's one assignment that's due tomorrow that he hasn't started. And my husband and I are like, okay, well, you haven't started. So let's help. Do you need help? Do you need help brainstorming? You know, and, and our fear of him not doing it, not getting a good grade on it or whatever it is, is sort of playing it up more and ratcheting up a little bit. Um, and so I have to sort of dial it back and say, when are you, when do you feel ready to, to work on it? Because you do have to, we have these expectations and you're not just going to get a zero because you don't like feel like writing this, you know, um, but sort of tampering our anxieties, trying not to catastrophize, like if my kid's not reading now, they'll never read, you know, or if they don't get this assignment, they'll never learn how to do this one math thing, um, trying to ratchet that back and also really, you know, spend time outside if you can, getting fresh air, connecting. Um, it's just so important knowing your child, working with the child that you have, not the child yeah. that you want. Yeah, that's, that's a very important thing, actually, because at the end of the day, every kid is different and they all do the things different and they all Absolutely. like different things. So that there is no point yeah. trying to, it's almost like we want to mold them all the same, which yes. is so boring. Because, <laughs> no. you know, when you then become an adult, you kind of like being different and like yeah. different things. But yeah. somehow with our kids, we want them to be all the same, all perfect. And yeah, and yeah. Rebecca was saying, yeah, Rebecca was saying it's difficult with different age of children in class too. Yes, because we... Yes. Because you have a big gap from, you know, who's born in September and who's born in August. Oh, it's a huge, it's a huge gap. How does it work in the the US? Because like for us, it's every, it starts from everyone born from the 1st of September to the 31st of August next year, go in one class. So that is typical here. Every state and every school district has their own actual timeline, but that's common. Um, what 
is happening now is that the, some parents have the option to red shirt is the sort of, you know, go-to phrase for that red shirt, a child who might be in born in the summer, but a little bit immature. Um, and so if it, some parents actually do it for the purposes of sports, uh, if they think that their child will have a benefit of sports at the high school level if they're on the older side. I mean, people think far ahead of this kind of stuff. I was just, I was just about to mind say. Mind-boggling. I'm not, I'm not joking. I'm not exaggerating here. Nope. Um, but the problem is then, like, you know, if you're starting kindergarten here at, like, you know, I just turned five three weeks ago, and you're with a child that's about to turn seven, then you have a huge difference in age and a huge discrepancy in their brain. And, and it, it does affect their self-confidence when that kid knows more than I do, I must be dumb. And we have to keep encouraging our children, you know, you're not dumb, you are exactly where you're supposed to be and hard work and, you know, sort of, sort of the resilience of moving on, even though you don't feel comfortable with not being good at something right now is going to just get you, you can explain, you're younger, you're not supposed to know that yet. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's, uh, I, yeah, they, I always see, when I used to work in school, um, in in primary school, you could see the little ones, they always struggled because they weren't quite there, but because they weren't ready, you know, they just simply weren't ready. And there were some little ones that were, you know, above the average and they would just get it like this but you do feel for the little ones going like it's fine you you get there don't worry but yeah it's hard no so So we have some um we're gonna do a premium content aren't we exclusive content with another three guests i remember correctly three or four yeah yeah three no i think it's five of us so another three yes and uh, we're going to do an all educational special coming yeah. up in October. And uh, hopefully, Liz was saying, I was held back in my fifth grade. Oh, ah. That's hard. Yeah. Do, do you hold back in, uh, in, in America? I think it happens. Um, look, Liz is saying it was life-changing. It sounds like it was very positive for her. Um, I think it, it can happen. I don't know how common it is. Um, I, yeah. I, do, I mean, I remember a boy in my class who repeated the third grade and and you know we went to the same high school he was fine yeah. you know I in, was grade above because in italy where i'm from it's mm-hmm. common in high school but yeah. it's a question of grades if you don't get certain grades you repeat the year i think so, they probably should do that more often than passing them you know yeah no i mean absolutely because if you haven't yeah. if you but you have it's like um we go in numbers so if you get six is the pass yeah. And if you get anything less than six, you haven't passed it. So if you have any f- more than three subjects that you haven't passed, then you have to repeat the year. So, but n- you wouldn't do it in primary. You would only do it in secondary school, which that makes sense. Yeah, I, I guess. Although if you yeah. lack the foundation, I guess you can't do that well in secondary either. Right. I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't know. It's something that I always find slightly controversial because you're kind of telling a child that it's failing instead right. of, trying to help it achieve where it needs to be. But then, as Liz was saying, for her, it was life-changing. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah. Okay. So uh, I think a lot of parents here pressure teachers to move their kids to the next grade. Because it's a social issue, right? All your friends are in the same grade. We really have always structured school in 
age cohorts. And, you know, it's interesting that we always do that. But that yet, you know, my daughter, who's a November birthday, she's just a few months younger than somebody who's an entire grade older than she is, you know, where should she be? Yeah. Why should it be that grade? But if she, you know, it's interesting, she's starting algebra this year. And the teacher at back to school night said, you know, if your child gets a C or lower, they just have to in any one quarter of the four quarters, they have to repeat algebra next year. And the kids were aghast. Well, C is not bad. What do you mean? What if I get all A's in one C? And I said, that's just how our county works. And it's better to have a solid foundation of algebra before you go on to do that higher math. She's on the higher math track right now. But if it's if she slips by and doesn't really understand, it's just going to get harder. No, for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Our school, our, our primary school has just um, did, done a new policy because they were fed up of parents asking to move their kids, like reading um, groups and math groups um, to yes. be with their friends. So now yeah. they don't disclose which group they're on. So they just give you the books with no color coding, nothing. They just give you the books and say, this is the book you need to read. And we'll, we'll take care of the groups over here sure. because there was so much talking between the parents yeah. that were just, oh, but you shouldn't be here. They should be with this, you know, and it's just like, but surely if that's not his level, it's not right. his level, you know. And let the so. teachers do their job. Yes, you know? exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. What are they saying here? Uh, the school, we change our voice to teachers, to the students, and we let them go into another grades class for whatever they are advancing or down if they need the extra help. I think that's a great, I actually yeah. wish they did that more here than they do. Um, because I feel like, you know, you could be very uh, much ahead in, in math, but not so much in reading and writing. And so you can really differentiate yeah. that way. It doesn't happen as much. I feel like in, in our district, there's a lot of, we can differentiate in the classroom. And I don't know if they really achieve that quite as much as they, sh they say they, they should. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> so I, I am with you on that. No, I, I'm so excited about, uh, um, well, we were saying before day in October, we're going to have a special um, content with other free guests, all about yeah. education and school education, homeschooling, unschooling, the world schooling. I think we're covering it all. Yeah. So I'm very excited. Me we'll too. release a date really soon. And I'm so thankful for your time. It was such an in, a great conversation. I learned so much. I'm um, so glad. Thank you so, so much for your time. And You're um, welcome. I hope I talk to you soon. I'd love thank that. You. Thank you. I thank, thank you for having you. me. It was so much fun. No, honestly, thank you so much. And what was your YouTube channel again before we okay. close off? So um, it is called 10 Minute Preschool. And you can also find me at just another preschool teacher, my Instagram. Bye, bye. Thank you so much. Have a Thank lovely you, evening. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Baby Voyage is pleased to announce the launch of a new membership program designed to give globetrotting parents even more access to expert advice and partner brand discounts. Three affordable price tiers give everyone access to the resources they need for an amazing family adventure. The program aims to teach children about world cultures and connect travel-loving families to one another, whether they are abroad or at home writing to a Baby Voyage pen pal. Visit Baby Voyage's website, www.babyvoyage.com, and click Join in the upper right-hand corner to sign up today. We'll see you there. This podcast was produced by myself, Derek Curtis.